NZ Aerosports, Icarus Canopies, now Gyro. That's right, we've rebranded, and Gyro is our next generation. It honours our founder, as that's the name we knew him by, but Gyro also marks the start of a new chapter. And not to be biased, but it's going to be fucking epic. Long story short, we're more us than ever. So if you're new to the sport, or even a Sky God Ninja Turtle, welcome. I think our valiant leader Lucy, Gyro's daughter, Says it best. And we still got that fuck your attitude. <laughs> Rebrand! Woo! Rebrand woo indeed, Lucy. Anyway, head over to gyro.com for more info and get amongst your legends. I was 19, broke, unemployed, and sold my girlfriend's canopy for drug money. So, I thought I'd better sell her a new one. What a sentence and what a story. This describes the humble yet outrageous beginnings of NZ Aerosports, the home of Icarus Canopies, in the words of our founder himself. From getting a paratrooper toy from his mom, watching parachutes at the DZ as a six-year-old, jumping off the wharf with a parachute made from bedsheets, doing his first jump at 16, sewing his first canopy on a borrowed machine at 19, and starting to sell parachutes out of a garage in 1986, Paul Gyro Martin had an undying love for the sky. Our company started with one man with the wildest of spirits in a true blue sky dream, a renegade. In the time that Gyro created and ran the Icarus Canopies brand until he passed away in 2017, he pushed everything he had to its limits. We miss him and we always will. Gyro is the next generation of NZ Aerosports. It honors our founder, of course, because it was the name we all knew him by, but Gyro the rebrand also marks the start of a new chapter, our next jump. Gyro is the space between sound and silence, art and science, chaos and calm. Gyro is a state of epic tranquility that transcends understanding. That moment, in the door, in free fall, mid-swoop, where nothing but the present exists. A perfect balance of euphoria and thrill. Gyro captures our passion for flying and our commitment to designing break-the-fucking-rules canopies that deliver pilots pure, wild flight. Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go! Back in the can for another edition of the Lunatic Fringe podcast with a smiling face on the other end of the line. Let's just get it started. Who the fuck are you and what do you do? I am Fleur Jones and I'm Fly with Fleur. So you absolutely are. I see the posts all the time and it always stuck out with me because that's, at least for an American, that's a very unique name. Yeah, it's quite unusual. Um, I think it came from um, my parents used to watch something called the Forsyth Saga. And uh, there was a character there called Fleur. And when I was there a child, it was really rare. You know, I'm always having to spell my name to people and, you know, pronounce it. They like Fleur or Fleur or Fleur and all sure. sorts. But yes, fly with Fleur. I'm Fleur Jones. Um, well, everything I do with my phone is always by dictation and it's not spelled your name once uh, correctly. So 
So it's F L E U R. F L E U R. Yes, that's right. that's absolutely not what my phone says it is. <laughs> so uh, we're going to talk about a lot of the flying and the stuff that you do. I know you've got uh, irons and a lot of fires, but how did you get started in anything, really? I mean, uh, anything extreme, the body flight stuff, obviously, in skydiving. Okay, so um, starting from the beginning, um, I was very lucky in that I've spent a lot of my life, my childhood, in light aircraft. My dad had a, a Cessna 172. My mom and dad were both um, private, had private pilot's license, um, so... We used to spend every weekend in the plane, um, you know, going to little airfields and drop zones and everything. And one of those that we happened to go to was Headcorn and uh, Skydive Headcorn in Kent. And I remember being a very small child and seeing the parachutes and sort of looking through the packing shed door and peeping through and seeing what was going on and running back to mum and going, I really want to do that one day, mum. But she was like, well, you're going to be a ballet dancer. That's what you want to be. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I want to be a ballet dancer, but I want to be, a, I want to jump out of planes. I want to have a parachute. And then um, she's like, well, you can't do both. Um, you'll hurt yourself, you know. If you want to do ballet, that's, that's um, you know, that's that's what you've got to 100% concentrate on. So I did ballet. I went to the Royal Ballet School. Um I trained there. I became a, a ballet teacher accredited by the Royal Ballet School, uh, became a ballet examiner. I had a vocational full-time school for um, performing arts children where I employed, so at the age of 23, I employed um, 11 staff. Uh, they had a boarding house. Um, wow. And, yeah, they did their academics, and I taught the ballet, and um, that's what I did. And I, then... <laughs> I mean... Sure. If if uh, if everything I've ever seen about ballet, other than an actual ballet, serves correctly, you're a lot more likely to hurt yourself as a ballet dancer than a skydiver. It's funny you should say that, actually, because uh, I think it was a couple of years ago, I actually broke my foot. I broke my um, fifth metatarsal in two places. And everybody was like, oh, you did that skydiving. It's like, nope. I did it teaching ballet. Yes, yes. <laughs> a really simple little step that I was doing. Well, there were all the the all the the shows that would that had come out over the last probably dozen years in the states that would pit uh, um, a ballet dancer's regimen against a, against a football player or a basketball player. You guys put up with some incredible shit. There's no way. Yeah, yeah. and I think that's why I have such endurance when I'm um, teaching in the tunnel because. Like I did four and a half hours or four, four hours, 20 minutes in London, the, the new tunnel. Um, I fly the new O2 tunnel. And I literally went back to back every half hour, two students every half hour from, uh, I think I started at 12.30 and finished at 10. Wow. <laughs> and, yeah. And then I get up, go to work the next day. <laughs> I mean, you'd have to have that kind of that kind of stamina, especially with everything that I've seen that ballet dancers go through. I mean, it's yeah. just physically incredibly brutal, right? It's it's a hard life. It really is a hard life. But it has given me, uh, especially doing the teaching side, has given me an immense ability to work with lots of different types of bodies lots of different types of people, lots of different learning styles. Um, there's so much that I can cross-transfer from teaching ballet into teaching skydiving. Um, and, yeah, it works so well. 
It really does. I can imagine, too, because ballet has to be incredibly demanding physically and mentally. So you've really got to learn how to get into a dancer's head and understand how they're going to learn best, just like a skydiver. Yep. Yeah. And the whole visualization thing, the whole mental attitude, um, when I when I teach, I use a lot of um, kind of visual clues, you know, talk about imagery. I talk about uh, imagine you're a ghost, you know, you've got your arms up in in the AFF position or I'm like, oh, imagine you're a dog begging, you know, in um, (laughs) FS position and think about pushing your legs through toffee, you know, and and then the crossover, the things I've learned in skydiving about gestures and, and using your hands and and the way you speak in the tunnel, because you, know, you have to speak slowly if you're talking to someone in the tunnel. I've crossed that over back into my ballet teaching. And I find that that has had some really good effects as well. So they they really blend well. You know? yeah. And being, being an examiner, a ballet examiner, I'm an examiner for one of the, um, the biggest um, organizations. It's called the Imperial Society of Teachers of Dancing. And that gives me an eye to be able to quickly scan the whole body to be able to to look and see, you know, what what it is that's not quite working or what's going wrong, and um, being able to fix it, you know. So it's 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 great. Do you find yourself having to approach dancers the same way you do jumpers that just aren't getting it? Yeah, that's so, got to be brutal. Yeah, so <laughs> it's funny actually. Um, I'm doing this new qualification um, with British Skydiving. It's um, formation skydiving. Um, coach qualification and it's um, ratified by Ofqual who um, like uh, look after all the academic exams in the UK so it's got some kind of you know standing behind it um, and you have to, one of the things on there is you have to talk about your coaching philosophy and um, I'd never even thought about that before you know like uh, what was my philosophy I kind of knew what I wanted to to get out of people but um, what I actually stood for was it, putting that into words was, was quite a unique thing. And the first thing that I put down was kindness, you know, because um, in my ballet life and in also in teaching skydiving, I see a lot of harshness that sure. I, I want to, if I do nothing in this sport, I want to eradicate that militaristic way of teaching people which actually like turns a lot of people off. Sure. You know, um, I appreciate it's you've got to save your life, you know, and I, I appreciate you've got to get that through to people. But there's ways and means, you know, and so being kind, but also being honest, that's the next thing in my coaching philosophy. Mm. You know, you've got to be honest with people. If it's not for you, it's not for you. I will do everything I can. And I use a whole range of techniques from everything that I've learned right from teaching tiny kids, children with special needs, adults, elite dancers, you know, I've used, I've got lots of different methods of, of getting through to people, but if it's, and it's not for you, then it, you've got to be honest about it. Sure. Um, and yeah. And the other thing that is to, to provide, you know, and teach good, clean technique, which again has a crossover from, from ballet, you know, sure. if you, if you can't fly technically, neatly and well then um you're not going to be able to hold uh you know formation whether it be like a four-way or a bigger way 
Sure. Um, so yeah. Well, I would nice. imagine coming from the dance world too, because obviously there's a lot more leeway in skydiving, unless you intend to be, you know, the top tier, you know, competing world champion type of thing. You can kind of be a, a average skydiver and have a great career, but you can't be an average dancer and have any career. No, and that was um, for myself. Um, I actually ended up my body grew too long. So um, although I'm I'm five foot seven, everyone says, "Oh, you, you know, you're you're slender and what have you." You know, I wasn't quite slender enough. I my okay. hips were a little bit too you know womanly, and um, you know my body grew too long. So that's why uh, I was advised at Royal Ballet School to go into their teaching program, which uh, meant that you still had to have the standard of um, ability to dance because they wouldn't have you otherwise, but you also had the bolt on of the teaching um, side of it. I mean, I did I did dance a little bit in the States, actually, in Houston. I danced with a company called Dance Um and yeah, I got a bit homesick, so I came home, and I was intending to um, audition and dance here, and then I got the opportunity to work in a vocational school, which is where, as I explained, children um, have their academics alongside their dance, and then, and the lady that owned that, she wanted to sell. And so I scraped around, borrowed some money from friends and, and bought the concern from her. And, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, several years later, um, that that enterprise finished. I was in a relationship with a person I, I um, run the school with and that ended. Um, so I was teaching in a college, in a performing arts college. And I did a master's degree in ballet studies. And then I was like, I can't afford to live. I just cannot afford to live in London and hold down this job, you know, because the arts yeah. doesn't pay very well. It's a bit sure. like skydiving in that respect. <laughs> and um, so I did something really random. <laughs> and hold on to your hat. I joined the police. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, and that is how I got to skydive. <laughs> that's quite the range i mean did you just go to bed one night and wake up the next morning going oh i'm gonna go ahead and i'm gonna be a cop well uh you may remember americans may remember do you remember cagney and lacy oh very well i grew up yeah, to that show so yeah, yeah when i was a kid and obviously the dream was to be a ballet dancer stroke parachutist um um i used to sit on the sofa with mum and we'd watch uh cagney and lacy on a friday night and i always thought that Cagney was just awesome. And uh, I was like, Mom, if I can't be a ballet dancer, I want to be a detective. <laughs> <laughs> and so when uh, when it came to, so still skydiving, skydiving had gone way off my radar at this point. Um, and I was like, what can I do? I've just done another um, three years of a master's degree in ballet studies. I've, I've tried to get work in the arts. It was just, it was a year, it was a 2002 or something. There was just no work around. Um, I was like, do you know what? I need something that gives me a pension because I've got no, no savings. I've got nothing. Um, and I need to, a, a PAYE, you know, income. And um, I thought, I'll have a go at joining the police. And so I did. And I got in and I thought, well, do you know what? If I don't like it, I'll leave. And... Here I am. I'm a detective constable as well, and um, a financial investigator. <laughs> so, so I have. I'm like 
Mr. Ben, you know, do you know the character Mr. Ben? I don't know if any of um, the listeners would know that, but um, back in the day, I was a cartoon character, and he'd go in a changing room, and he'd come out in a different costume, you know, he'd go in, and he'd come out with a super a Superman costume, he'd go, go in and come out with an astronaut, and that day, he'd be that person, it's a kid's, kid's cartoon, and I, I feel like that some days, you know, I'm like, which hat have I got on? <laughs> I would which think. Costume? I would think, you know, it's funny because I've had a lot of um, uh, a couple of police officers on and a couple of detectives on and and, uh, people that are in that line of work. And I've even had a a couple of people that have danced at one time or another, but never anybody that's done the whole gambit. I know. It's pretty awesome, isn't it, really? So (laughs) what did your obviously your your mom wanted uh, uh, supported your being a ballet dancer. But what did she think when you're like, no, I'm going to go ahead and be a, a police officer now? Um, actually, I think um, my parents preferred it because um, quite a few of my family come from sort of um, policing backgrounds. So they, I think they were happy. But um, but I've always carried on the other career as well, you know. So um, somebody very wise once said to me, try and have a portfolio career so that if one avenue shuts down, you've always got another line of work. And actually, although my dad was very against me, um, doing ballet he um he's like there's no money in it absolutely true um or wasn't at that time it's actually provided a a means to actually support my skydiving because um you know initially before I started tunnel coaching and doing fly with flair um because my wage as a police officer wouldn't support everything that you need you know I mean I'm really fortunate now I have um I'm sponsored I'm sponsored by Sunpath um so thank you very much to Sunpath um also by Cookie so thank you to Cookie and also by Vertex Sky Sports who uh, make my suits so um yeah I'd like to shout out to those guys and say thank you from the bottom of my heart because you know that's that's really helped helped me so now how how did the skydiving come about because you you obviously skipped past it and forgot about it and and uh chose multiple different paths but how'd you get back to jumping so in the police and um, in sussex police where i work they had uh, well they just still do have a skydiving association uh like a little sports group and at that time um i was uh always there's always a boy involved <laughs> <laughs> Um, I was seeing a guy whose name happened to be Guy, and um, he, um, yeah, he introduced me to someone called Paul Dor- Paul Dorwood. Do you know Paul Dorwood, a flight one? Cool. And um, Paul was also a um, a um, police officer at the time, but in the Met. And um, Guy showed me some video of them skydiving. I was like, I really want to do that. That's like dancing in the air. You know, mm. that is it was it was belly you know but even the the formations and and the way uh, they were moving around and taking grips and and making these pretty patterns like that is everything that I've wanted to do so in ballet when you dance with a um a partner you know if you're slightly on the heavier side you feel gravity you feel the weight of yourself sure in skydiving as I came to find out you just are weightless, you know? It's like, well, you know, because you're a yeah. but you know, it's just an incredible feeling of being light and, but at the same time, grounded. Um, 
Yeah. Well, there's an amazing parallel there too, right? I mean, I remember many, many years ago now seeing Olaf Zipser and Stefania ballroom dancing in free fall. And I'll yeah. never forget it because it was very obvious that he was spinning her and she was doing a bit of a pirouette and then coming back. And it was, I was absolutely blown away because I'd seen some really cool free flying at that point, but that was dancing and it was very obviously dancing. I was absolutely fucking floored. <laughs> floored. I would, I would love, I would still love to be able to do all that stuff, you know, but um, yeah, my budget and my time at the moment just, um, doesn't I can do some basic you know um freestyle but well it sounds like uh uh, (laughs) what you have the least of is time (laughs) I am pretty pretty stretched with time so um yeah so I went to the drop zone and he was there and he he was like why don't you sign up and do a tandem and I was like um I've just signed up for my AFF I start next week (laughs) (laughs) and since then the police have been absolutely amazing because what they do is um they let me work um 40 hours over um four days so i always have wednesday off so i can and the weekend so i can have time for skydiving so that's fantastic yeah they have they're really supportive of it so it's it's great now i i have lots of british skydiving friends all of whom i've worked with in the states or abroad elsewhere i've i've never seen the community firsthand in the uk but is it a bit like it is in the states where there's um kind of an unspoken truce between officers and the jumpers that are a little bit more on the on the edgy side yeah 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 pretty much and i i try not to tell I mean, I've told the world now, but <laughs> don't ask, don't tell. <laughs> I try not to tell people what I do because I don't want to be defined as a police officer. I don't sure. think of myself as a police officer. Um, sometimes I actually I have to like poke myself and remember I am. Um, I would I would say you know I define myself as um, as as a fleur as me. Sure. I don't like um, putting myself in boxes sure. um, and. Um, yeah and I say primarily I would say if anybody asked me I'm a a skydiving um, instructor I'm a skydiving coach and I'm a ballet teacher and and then if it ever gets deeper and people you know and I was like and I'm a police officer (laughs) and um and yeah you know I wouldn't say that you you can't turn a blind eye because you're not allowed to because you're a police officer on duty off duty so if I saw something you know absolutely illegal going on I'd have to deal with it but generally I just like yeah well that was one of the things that I always loved and I've told the story before on the podcast is that the first drop zone that I ever was busy working at there was um, a Las Vegas version of uh, SWAT officer uh, and a known pot dealer both of whom were jumpers and it was very well known that it was a truce on the drop zone even to the point where I heard the officer tell him you know if I ever catch you outside the drop zone you're fucked right but it was uh, it was that line drawn. And I, I, because it was so early for me in the sport, uh, that's how I've always viewed it was the drop zone was always, with exceptions, of course, a very safe space because we're all just a bunch of jumpers. And that's what I absolutely love about skydiving. You know, we had um, we had a judge at, at Headcorn and, you know, and then you have 
you know, your people that just they live on they live on the drop zone and they pack and people come from all different backgrounds. Some people have got not such great backgrounds, some people got very privileged backgrounds, but when you're on the drop zone, it really doesn't matter. No one cares, you know, yeah. no one no one really asks what you do. No. Um they just they just all want to muck in together and, and be the best that they can and have fun. Yeah, yeah, it's much more about what discipline you prefer in skydiving than what you do when you're not on the drop zone. Absolutely. And I love the fact that when I go to a drop zone or a tunnel, the rest of the world outside doesn't seem to exist for me. It's mm. it's totally bizarre. Time, it's like being in a in a TARDIS or a vortex or something. Time just doesn't matter. Outside doesn't matter. There'll be times when I, I'll go to the drop zone and I think, I must make that phone call or I must do this or I must pay for tunnel time or must do whatever. And, you know, I'll get to the end of the day and I'm like, oh, my God, I haven't done that because it's just it absorbs me completely. I'm sure. just totally wrapped up in it. So now uh, what did the family think when you signed up for AFF? They thought I was mad. <laughs> you had to kind of tell your mom, look, I've been telling you for a long time. It's, it's my turn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How did your AFF go? Uh, really well yeah, yeah. I, I mean uh, I didn't do any repeats um I I can't remember too much of it to be fair um I do remember sitting on the edge of the islander because my first jump was out of the islander all the rest were out the let which was amazing and um, but the first one on the islander I remember sitting on the edge of the plane and as I say to you all my life since I was three I've been in a light aircraft so I knew exactly you know how what the ground looked like from a certain height but being just that little bit higher for a skydive, I remember sitting on the edge of the door because you couldn't stand. You had to sit a bit like um, a static line exit. Mm. Um, I think. I can't really remember, actually. <laughs> anyway, I remember sitting on the edge of the door and looking down thinking, oh, that's a long way down. Yep. <laughs> and and then the next thing I remember is the the wind, the noise of the wind. No one had told me that it was going to be noisy. That was that was the second most surprising thing. And then the last thing, which is something that I use when I teach my students now, and I find it really, really effective. And I adapted depending on what people believe, but this I'll tell you how, how I feel and think about it. Is that I felt that when I jumped out of the plane, that the hand of God was just catching me. And I was there lying, you know, in my arch position in the hand of God sure. and and I just say to people you know just imagine this great big hand as you come out of the plane is going to catch you and you're just laying in that hand and the minute they do that they just relax and they're in a beautiful arch and everything works and I've had people come down from their jumps they said I thought of the hand you know <laughs> and it really worked and oh that makes me feel so good you know um I would, I would sort of say you do believe in God or, you know, whatever beforehand. And if, if they don't, then I'll, I'll just adapt it to the giant hand. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's how I um, thought of it. And then one last thing that struck me, and I say this also to my students, is when, when you jump off a sofa or jump off a table onto the floor or whatever, you expect the bang straight away, don't you? you you're like you're waiting for that bang. And I think um that's what most people are, are sort of apprehensive about is maybe not so much the jump but is the landing or the bang and it's like you don't need to worry about that because when you jump out the plane the weirdest thing is that you're expecting that bang to happen and it doesn't and then you just enjoy this this beautiful time in the 
in the sky. Absolutely. Oh, and one more thing. <laughs> when, I, when I opened my parachute, I remember that um, what an amazing feeling it was just to have no metal around me, just have these strings and and this material and I was out there in the sky flying if anybody said to me what what would you what animal would you want to be I always said I want to be a bird mm. and and I was out there and and no metal and glass or anything around me and it still gobsmacks me to this day I've been in the sky since 2007 and I still think that every time I'm under canopy and I still when I drive home from the drop zone I look up and I think I was a dot up there, you know, a couple of hours ago. <laughs> yep. And that's that's yeah. the great thing about it, right? Is you get to look back with these new eyes and still be just as impressed, you know, at every single jump. And I remember when when my canopy opened for the very first time under my own canopy, I remember looking at my feet and then the ground below and going, holy shit. Because in free fall, I didn't have that sensation of distance, but I did under canopy because there was time to kind of let it all soak in. And the other thing I noticed was the absence of sound. So the same thing you did. I just didn't notice it was noisy until after it stopped. And I okay. wish someone had told me way back then, A, that it was going to be noisy and B, I wish earplugs had been a thing back then. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my ears wouldn't be ringing to this day if I had put earplugs in 28 years ago. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm suffering from uh, tinnitus, actually. It sucks, um, right? Yeah. Yeah. I did a jump um, back at the beginning of the year and I had a bit of a cold and I didn't realize that I did have, you know, I just thought it was a little bit of hay fever or something. And um, yeah, my ears really suffered. I've had I had to go to the hospital, and yeah, it's, it's, uh, so it's don't jump with the cold, anyone. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things that they don't tell you about. It's kind of one of those things that skydivers just deal with, I guess, because for the most part, we always thought this is just one of those things you have to put up with. But it definitely, I mean, it it ends up really weighing on you. The the earplug thing, I wish I had had them. I had my, my wife was complaining about a, um, a high-pitched alarm going off, and I literally couldn't hear it yeah. because it's at the exact frequency of my tinnitus. So yeah. I just don't hear it because yeah. I always hear it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I I have suffered, and um, oh. yeah, I do. I do wear earplugs now. And yeah. Well, of course, I, I went from that to, to flying for, you know, 14 years in turbines with all kinds of noise. So I just, yeah, it's it, that part's done for me. <laughs> so you got through your AFF and uh, jumping in the UK can be a, a bit iffy with weather and stuff. So how, did it take you a while to start racking up jumps or did you start traveling like a lot of Brits? Uh, so I I was very lucky because having known Paul, um, he would uh, go over to Elsinore. Mm. And uh, so I I tagged along <laughs> and he pretty much uh, took me from my AFF through my FS and uh, Melanie, you know, Melanie Curtis. I do. Um, I do. Yeah. So she gave me some coaching when I was out there in Elsinore. We went to the tunnel and yeah, I, I, I'm very, I was very blessed because I had some very good input at a very young skydiving uh, age <laughs> so um I think that that really set me on a good path so uh, I did uh quite a few like holidays out to um, Elsinore uh Seville um the land uh, and um didn't get you know I, I think I got 100 jumps in a year which was pretty good going for a, a beginner sure sure um, absolutely 
And yeah, um, I did have a little mishap in Seville. Uh, I landed in a tree, <laughs> came home in plaster. Um, that was when I was uh, quite young in skydiving experience. In sure. fact, the whole the whole load um, landed off. I've got a funny story to tell you about that. So please, please. Um, yeah. So we we had gone to so um, Guy and I had gone to Seville. We were waiting for Paul and um, Joe to come, and um, so we were going to jump. We were jumped on the Friday. And we were desperate to jump, you know, like you are. And um, they put the load up. And as as we were, something must have happened with the winds or the spot was wrong or something, the whole load landed off. And nearly everybody got injured, apart from, apart from one or two people. And they ran out of ambulances. So um, we were all lined up in the packing shed. And this ambulance came along. And the paramedic, and literally, I don't know if it was a lady or a man, I can't remember, but they like they had a shot of like some kind of, I guess it must be morphine or something, you know, and she just lined us all up. And just, <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, off I went to hospital, I ended up with my foot in plaster. It wasn't broken, but it was um, badly sprained. As soon as I got back to the UK, they took the plaster off and rehab and stuff. So, yeah, so. When I later on, I was um, I did the Satori Academy, which um, Julia Foxwell she ran um, a program. So Julia Foxwell had a team called Satori, and they were like top, top, top um, uh, uh, champions in formation skydiving. And they started an initiative where they took skydivers um, and put them into teams and basically trained them up. And I was lucky enough to be on that. And um, we went to Seville for a training camp. And I was like, oh, no, you know, the last time I was here, please don't put me on the first load. Please don't put me on the first load. And um, she's like, no, you won't be on the first load. Anyway, we were on the first load. And I said, please get the spot right, please. They're like, don't worry, that hasn't happened for about six years. (laughs) Yeah. And that last time was me. (laughs) (laughs) And, And guess what? It happened again. Oh, no. you didn't land in a tree again, though, did you? <laughs> no, I landed, I landed in the cornfield. <laughs> but um, I did a head over heels because I, I kind of misjudged the, the yep. height of the corn. <laughs> yep, that'll <laughs> but, happen. But I had a plan because um, the whole time ever since that had happened, I, I thought, what should I have done? What could I have done? You know, what could I have done better not to get blown backwards uh, on the canopy? And, um, you know, I had this plan and I put the plan into, into place. So I, all the way up in the plane, I was looking for the outs. Um, you know, as we were doing the skydiving, as we were tracking, I was looking down. And, um, you know, I was tracking towards where, you know, I could know I could have a, a clear space to land. And, uh, yeah, and that's what I did. Have you know, it's funny because obviously skydiving is a sport where you want to learn from other people's mistakes. But most of us still seem to only learn best from our own mistakes. But the good thing about most skydivers is we absolutely do learn, especially when it ends in a morphine shot and and plaster. So, yeah, you tend to keep that on your mind. Those are the jumps that you don't forget. Like, I'm sure you're the same. I've had literally thousands of great jumps that were a lot of fun, 
but the ones I really remember are the ones that weren't so fucking great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, those ones when you get down and your heart's going because <laughs> you know you've you've just uh, escaped it. Either. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. Worst, of course, are the ones where you know you screwed something up um, and you're beating yourself up for it, and then the next down is something just went wrong. You know, you still you're. It's just a loop that runs in your head. I mean, I still remember every proper negative jump I ever had. Yeah, yeah. And that is a that is an issue, actually, for me, because out of, um, you know, I haven't got a huge amount of jumps. I've got 1,250-something mm-hmm. jumps. But um, when I, um, my landings, you know, when I have a, a, a heavy landing or a bad landing, um yeah, you know, I probably got I probably got hundreds of really great landings. Sure. But it'll always be the one, you know, the heavy one or the the one where it was just a bit fast or whatever. And um, yeah, you just have to try and focus on the good ones and try and replicate that and um, you know learn from your mistakes, but also focus on the good stuff as well. I'm not I'm not very good as a person. I'm not very good at focusing on the positive so somebody could give me like 10 compliments and i and one bad thing but i'd only hear the the negative thing you know sure sure yeah no i i completely agree you're only uh, as good as your last uh, bad landing <laughs> <laughs> so how did the tunnel stuff start for you uh so um i i did the usual little bit of tunnel um you know in four way competitions and such um and then uh what I was so doing I think I was just learning to do a bit of free flying and, and such um with Jimmy McCarthy and then my friend Brian Cumming who we run now we run events together mm-hmm. um we have like a kind of joint enterprise called Fab Events which is Fleur and Brian events very cool <laughs> yeah so he um do you know when the whole IBA thing became more to the fore and with the tunnels and they were giving coaching qualifications? So it wasn't just a bit of ad hoc where you go with a friend and and you'd help them out in the tunnel, which was what was happening. So I'd, I'd take um, some of my FS students and I would you know, give them a little bit of coaching in the tunnel. And then they formalized it. So the IBA and, and iFly formalized it so that you had to have a coach rating. And Brian was like, have you seen this? There's an opportunity to do to do this. And um, literally that night I filled in, the, I did the coach ready assessment and I was on the phone to the manager. Please, please, please. Can I be on a, a coach rating, um, you know, course program? Um, long story short, that's how I got my coach rating. And then because I, I teach a lot of FS um, at Headcorn and um, now I'm also um, working at Skydive Neverhaven as well. Um, so people wanted to come and, and just practice in the tunnel. So we I started off just doing a little bit, you know, maybe I'd go down to Basingstoke um, iFly for like half an hour, literally, if that's what people wanted. Sure. And word spread and, you know, people recommended people and then becoming an AFF instructor you know I'd sort of say to people look I think you could do with a bit of tunnel or other AFF instructors would send their students to me and now I've got a whole network of of people that um you know want to come and fly which is amazing and um uh yeah I I think I I like to say that I specialize in um 
in helping people who've got issues, you know, <laughs> <laughs> in, um, in their AFF and beginner FS1s because I looked around and I there's some amazing, there are amazing uh, coaches, four-way coaches, free-fly coaches, but, but there's very few who actually um, want to or do spend a lot of time with beginners mm. and and I think a lot of beginners as well think that the tunnel is for you know those really experienced flyers um but actually if we can get in to students pre-AFF during the AFF you know in that period from when they've got their A license and they're just having those jumps in the sky on their own because in the UK you can't jump with um, anyone else unless you've got your formation skydiving qualification. Um, so a lot of people get into bad habits, then they try and do their formation skydiving qualification and then you've got to undo a lot of stuff. Sure. So if you can get in there early, get those habits eradicated, sort out the issues, um, then they're going to have a happier journey they're going to want to keep coming back to skydiving. They're going to be able to jump with other people. It's going to be fun. It's not going to be a washing machine, what I call washing machine skydive, where it all goes out the door and funnels immediately because no one can get their levels. And, um, yeah, and that's what I, I, love to, I love to do. I love helping people who have, you know, maybe they're spinning on their level three AFF or they're, you know, I don't know, whatever it is, they can't get sure. their body position right or, you know, they're having trouble in their practice touches or they're just starting their FS journey and they haven't got the body position right. Sure. And I just I just love it. And I love it when they go away back to their own drop zones or work with me. And um, But it's even, even more rewarding, actually, when um, they go back to their own drop zone and they work with their own coaches and instructors. And then they, they write back to me and they say, hey, I got that level four, you know, and I did it. Thanks so much because that really helped what you said or what Absolutely. we did. And and that honestly, it makes me glow inside. It really oh, of does. Course. I just, I just, I just love it. I'm so happy for them. Well, um, and and yeah. I think we people that uh, um, that have more body awareness take it very much for granted. So people that don't have that, that haven't had the training as a dancer or done a lot of athletic stuff when they were younger, that don't know what their feet are doing back there somewhere and can't tell the difference between a straight leg or their feet on their ass. That's extremely difficult. It really is, and and uh, you have to you have to learn to be incredibly talented in how you work with people in order to get that through. Especially when it's in an environment like freefall, but with yeah. the tunnel, the tunnel gives you a bit of an edge because now it's not this person having to worry about the altimeter and everything else. It's you standing on the net in front of them with a smile on your face and a hand signal. And then they can figure it out. Or you physically put them in the position that you need them in that you cannot do in the sky. Yeah, absolutely. You know. Yeah, I say to them, look, this is our time for us to do this thing as many times as we need to do it. So if I need to come and move your foot, like you're on the net, and I, I say, I give them the stop signal, which I teach them. I said, that, me that means I'm going to come around the back of you and I'm going to get hold of your foot and I'm going to put it into this position or whatever, you know, whatever leg or whatever it is, their knee, and, and I'm going to hold it there. And then when I let it go, if it pings back to the, the position, the full position, I'm going to put it back again into that position 
And then I'm going to let go and we're going to do that as many times as we need to do until you can feel what that feels like. And then you have to translate what that feeling means to you in your brain, you know, and then that's how that's how you learn. And and I've started doing a thing uh, which I developed in the last couple of weeks because I had somebody who every time he came into into the tunnel, he literally went like a starfish flat. (laughs) (laughs) And so so um, you can only do this on a, a skiddy floor, but if you curl up into a little ball and then I go one, two, three, bang, into your position, into your, and, um, you know, and it, it's amazing how many people don't get the right position. You know, they've got their legs, like, you know, one bent more than the other or sure. even. And so then I put them into the right position. I'm like, feel, what does that feel like? And they say, oh, well, this leg feels higher than the other. I was like, honestly, no, this is, this is level. So put that feeling into your brain. Let's try it again. And then, and then we go back into the little ball and then one, two, three, bang. And I, I learned that from, um, from teaching myself in, um, in ballet. Mm. Um, so when I, when I was a student, I had an issue with my stance and um, I stuck my ribs out or something, stuck my bottom out. And I would just um, stand sideways to the mirror and get myself into the correct position using the mirror, close my eyes and, and feel what that felt like and then open my eyes. Okay, I've still got the position. Right, relax. Let's yep. do this again. And um, put myself into the position. Look, and I repeated it that many times until that I could do it with my eyes closed. I could feel the position. When I opened my eyes, I had, I had the right position. And sure. that's that's what you have to do. And 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 tunnels perfect for that because you know we can do it as many times as we need to do. Oh, it really is. I remember having a, an AFF uh, student that was having a, a rather difficult time of it and, and was watching everyone else going. And and I'm I told him, I'm like, look, eventually you'll be able to be blindfolded and they'll be able to throw you out of an airplane and you'll be flying the instant you're out the door. But it's baby steps. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some work and it's going to take some awareness. But eventually you'll always be flying. You'll never be flipping around and flailing. It's just going to come. And that guy eventually turned into an AFF instructor, which, I mean, come on. How cool is that, right? So you know what? It's going to happen. It's definitely going to get there, but it's finding that way that works for them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Everybody is, it's a cliche, but everybody's different, you know, and everybody learns in a different way. And it's about finding that key to unlocking that person's learning style and ability, and then being able to like get into that and then help them understand how they learn. Some people don't actually know how they learn. I ask, I ask them, I, I say to them, how do you learn best? Are you a visual person? Do you need do you need me to explain it? Do you need it broken down? Do pictures work? Does imagery work? Um, do you are you a copier? Do you do you you know? Because some people just can't copy. I see a lot of um, people in the tunnel and they're going through things, and and the student behind is trying to copy, and they just they can't. They don't. They can't copy and think and work it all out at the same time. Sure. But some people, but some people can. Some people you can talk to them until you're blue in the face. But if you do it in front of them. They'll copy and it'd be brilliant. It's it's 
really unique how everybody learns and, and that's part for me of the puzzle and the fun of it and oh it's joy. fantastic it really um, is fantastic watching it happen and and seeing how different instructors interact with different students and i had uh, uh an old friend by the name of micah couch who was uh, a tunnel instructor in dubai when i was out there and a and a skydiver and a team member and champion and all this and we were uh, playing in the tunnel and he was teaching a variety of different people how to do different moves. And with a low airspeed, we were playing a game where he would jump in one door of the tunnel, do some maneuver and then fly out the other end. And he jumped in in a stand and literally just zipped right out the door and pointed at me. And I'd seen what he did with no clue how I was supposed to do it, but I just jumped in, imitated what I thought he did and shot right out the other door and Everyone, including me, was shocked that it worked. And he said, let's do it again. And I said, nope, I'm never going to be able to do that again. There's no way in hell I can repeat that twice. No way. No way. But the imitation stuff was was quite a lot of fun. And it, it helps kind of boost their confidence if they learn that way. It just depends on how people Yeah, are. yeah, yeah. No, so it's interesting. How did the fly with floor idea happen? Oh, uh, so that was my boyfriend's suggestion. He... Um, <laughs> So, um, I think when I was when I was starting at my ballet school, um, somebody said you should always have a brand because people remember the brand. And um, and we were thinking, well, what what name? You know, how what could I call myself? And he's just like, it's easy, fly with Fleur. <laughs> like, oh my god, that's genius! <laughs> so yeah, that's how it that's how it started. So now I have um. I have pull-up cords that um, are, are beautiful pull-up cords that um, I've made. And I have um, pens I give out to my students because one thing that does, you know, it's great to have when they're doing their logbook is have a pen because the amount yep. of times, have you got a pen? And they're like, no, it's like, here you are, have a pen. And I'm getting some T-shirts made and um, some and. Uh, like a hoodie and everything I've got it on my jumpsuits um so on my vertex jumpsuits they've they've made this beautiful logo and um, nice on my on my suits and I have it on my uh cookie plates as well um yeah I just need it on my rig next time right. <laughs> yeah so but, um, with all of this I mean teaching ballet working as a detective um teaching in the tunnel and an AFF instructor, how, how do you do, how do you manage that? That's just, just too much. <laughs> it's pretty hard. I use my annual leave to do um, a lot of, like a lot of teaching. So when we do the camps abroad, um, I, I use my annual leave for that. Um, I work pretty much every weekend. <laughs> um, I work every Wednesday in the tunnel um either London or um Basingstoke um so yeah I have a very understanding boyfriend <laughs> I, was, I was about to add it was my next question was all right how's this working with the guy <laughs> yeah so well he used to be a skydiver so he understands he understands um you know the thing he he's got he has um he works with dogs so he has his dogs and that's his hobby um conveniently he lives quite near the drop zone so when I, um, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah, that works um, well. Yeah, so, um, yeah, oh, it, nice. it works. And of course, you know, in the winter, um, we don't we don't jump so much here in the UK. I'm, sure. I'm ashamed to say I'm a fair weather 
jumper. <laughs> um, I'm not good in the cold. Um, so winter, we tend to not to do such long hours, obviously. Um, sure. And the drop zones pretty much close over um, through from December through to March for Headcorn and December through to February, I think, for Netherhaven. Sure. So um, I think it's only a couple of drop zones that stay open all year. Yeah, I had uh, uh, Scotty Milne on not all that long ago. And of course, he pisses off to Spain quite yeah. often or to the States. So yeah. obviously, it's uh, it's that time of year you get out of the UK. Yeah, I, I train up quite a lot of his um, AFF students. He's, he sends them to myself and then um, I do nice. the pre-AFF. Yeah, it works really well. Really yes, well. I've yeah. had him on the show. I've had Brian on the show as well. Yeah. So I've I've yeah. had a a, awesome. a few <laughs> a few from out your way. So, how do people track you down if they want some coaching? They want to come out and jump. They want to find out what being a detective is like. They want to start ballet. How do they find you? So um, I'm on Facebook and Instagram as Fly with Fleur, or you can send me a friend request, Fleur Jones, on Facebook. Um, you can WhatsApp me. Um, do you want my WhatsApp phone number? Or <laughs> I, I wouldn't give that out. I'll uh, I, yeah, we'll we'll go ahead and stick with the with the the social media stuff. Yeah, or, or and my email is it's all on it's on the social media, so it's awesome. all there. I put my WhatsApp on on the social media. So yeah, absolutely, uh, get in touch, and um, I love to help. I love to help people. So. Um, I I love to help people get their, achieve their goals and their dreams, and nothing Fantastic. nothing pleases me more than, as I say, to know that I've had an input in somebody's skydiving career or life. So it's a yeah. pretty special thing to know that you helped aim someone in the right direction or get them past what would have been a potentially unsurmountable hurdle. Absolutely, it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah. It's been so fantastic catching up with you. I can't thank you enough to take thank your time you. out of the incredibly busy schedule that you have <laughs> to sit and talk about what you just finished doing. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was I, fantastic. I'm really stoked that you uh, that you asked me to no, come. No, this on. was great. Thank you so much. You okay, have yourself you. a fantastic evening. Okay, and you maybe catch up again soon. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Bye bye. Well, there you have it. Another episode of the Lunatic Fringe Podcast brought to you as always by, well, wait, not as always, actually. Brought to you now by Gyro. Formerly known as NZ Aerosports, you'll head to gyro.com for their next level line of canopies. By Pussfoot, the Extreme Sports Collective. Head over to pussfoot.com to check it out. By Summit Parachute Systems, Check out SummitParachuteSystems.com to talk to Jarrett Martin and the gang about kick-ass pilot rigs, rigging courses, and more. By Flyaway Indoor Skydiving. Go to FlyawayTN.com and check out all the cutting-edge stuff to come. By Pure Spectrum CBD. Head to PureSpectrumCBD.com to check out their wide range of CBD products. And as for us, head to the lunaticfringepodcast.com to listen to any of the hundreds of episodes currently available, hit the link for our YouTube channel, pick up your copy of the Lunatic Fringe book or The Accidental Stripper, and get a sneak peek at upcoming guests. Once again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.